0: Um, now, as I have prayed about it, I've, I've now begun to think that it's time for me to open up with you guys. We go ba- way back. Some of us go way back, some of us not as much. But I want to be honest and personal about something that I've never said publicly before. So are we cool with that? You guys have on masks, so I can't really see your responses. You're safe. Um, so I'm going to just go for it. We're going to get personal. So here, here we go. I don't have a green thumb. I'm not good with plants. It's okay. You can laugh. It's cool. It's funny. It's going to get crazy in a minute. All right? I'm not good with plants or flowers or anything like that. Uh, I can appreciate them, but I'm just not good with it. And the problem with me not having much of a green thumb is that our house in Malden has a flower bed in front of it, and it looks terrible if there's not something growing in it. And we're on the corner of the block, so everybody that pulls in sees it that flower bed needs something resembling life in it, or it just looks bad. It just looks bad. Now, I like tulips. Anybody like tulips? A few people. All right, the rest of you, we're going to get you there. So I like tulips. So I bought a lot of tulips a couple years back, and by a lot, um, I mean I ordered like 100 or 150 bulbs. And If you're like me and don't have a green thumb, tulips are a winner because they're like the pizza delivery of the flower world. Here's what I mean. You put your order in and bam, they just show up at your door at the right time for you to plant them. So I got on dutchbulbs.com to order bulbs because we gotta have the authentic ones, right? And then they automatically showed up at my house in the fall. So I buried all these and then they came out of the ground all beautiful in the spring. They didn't even care about the cold or the snow. In fact, some of them were blooming through, were coming up through the snow, right? That's what I'm saying. These things are awesome. And I look like a tulip master as these bright yellow bulbs or bright yellow tulips with red streaks popped up. And people would say, no, lie, they would be like, wow, your tulips are amazing. And I would be like, yeah, I know. I know. I know. But then after two weeks, all I had left was a bunch of brown tulip stems with no flowers on them, right? Because once that season's gone, it's over. So this spring, right after the the pandemic shut down, stuff started happening, I was at Lowe's and I impulse bought two hydrangeas. They looked real cool. And because I know I'm not good with this stuff, they had keywords on the packaging. This is marketing at it's best. Hardy. Does well with direct sunlight. That was all I needed. I was like, take my shut up and take my money. Sorry, kids. I did not say shut up. I just it didn't happen. And so this was gardening on my level. These this was plants of the people, my kind of people. Gardening I could trust. So I went for it. So I bought two of these hydrangeas to go in the front flower bed. So that there'd still be something there when the tulips were done for the year. Now, my wife, Mariah, was all surprised and when I came home and I started planning these things and everything looked great. But then it happened. Frost. Not one night. No, no, no. That would have been enough. But two nights, my hydrangeas still haven't recovered. I've never had hydrangeas before, but now they haven't recovered. They're little now. I swear they just shrunk. And not only from from like dying parts, but they actually just shrunk. They're little now. They're brown. There's no flowers. We've trimmed back the dead spots, and even after that, they still look dead. It's like we cut the dead off, and they still look that way. And people say stuff to me me now like, I think they'll do better next year. But what they really mean is, those are dead, Mr. Dutch Bulb. You're going to need to go buy new ones. He thought you were so smart. And they're not wrong. These hydrangeas aren't working. They aren't fulfilling their purpose. They had a shot. They didn't make it through. And me, I can't fix these plants. I can't do it. So what am I going to need? New ones. New ones. I'm going to need more money to go to a different place. It's got different marketing, so I can feel better about it next year. I'm going to need new ones. If you were to sit down this week and start reading the Old Testament of your Bible from the beginning, which you're all going to do. If, if you were going to do that, and you read through the whole thing this week, which, again, you're all going to do, you would find that the symbol of a vine is used multiple times for Israel in the scriptures, in the older covenant, so the first two-thirds of our Bible, but in those times, it always comes up that the vine, which is representing the people of God, does not bear fruit, and rather than obeying God and living under God's blessing, his people tend to walk in their own wisdom, turning from him towards idols, and of course, that's a problem because vines are supposed to bear fruit, right? That's what vines are supposed to do. That's what plants are supposed to do. So even though that is what's, what God has called them to do and, and called them to the bearing of fruit as his people, they never pull it off. And so over and over again, they don't pull it off. In fact, they usually do such a poor job at bearing fruit that judgment is consistently included in these references of when, when the vine is used as an image for God's people. If they continue to be fruitless, Judgment will come. You can listen, listen to Psalm 80 with me. You don't have to flip over there. You can just listen to this with me. Um, this is picking up in verse 8, reading to 13, and you can hear an example of this. Uh, the psalmist says, you, God, brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches, its in out, it branches to the sea, and it shoots to the river. This all sounds good, then, right? That sounds like what a vine's supposed to do. Well, it's a good start for it. But then it says, "Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. See, you can hear the psalmist saying there, you brought this vine out of Egypt and planted it. You took care of it and it looked like it was going great, but now you've broken it down because it wasn't bearing fruit. And everyone around it, everything around it is tearing it apart. That vine that God brought out of Egypt had been judged because it wasn't bearing fruit. The people of God had not rightly related to God. So the vine was done. Here's another example from Jeremiah 2, verse 21. It says, Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? See, though God had used this imagery of a vine previously, and there's, there had always been a supposed bearing of fruit to come, it never happened. And this is the background for Jesus' words in the passage that we read that we're reading today. The passage that Pastor Quint just read to us. So we're gonna, we're gonna start there in John 15.1. If you if you have your Bible, still crack that open app, tap over there. John 15, verse 1. We're gonna start there. As we're there, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So you heard it there in Jesus' words. He's the one. He's the true vine, so he will bear fruit. He's not a low-budget, frostbitten plant from Lowe's. He's not. He's the one. He's the true vine, the one that I couldn't purchase if I wanted to. So when Jesus says, I'm the true vine, he's saying that all of the fruit that the intended vitality of the religious leaders from the Old Testament, the the intended vitality of the temple and the festivals, all that they were to accomplish, he says, I'm the one that will bear it. It all runs through me. I am the true vine, the better vine, the vine that will bear fruit. He says, I am the source. Of life. That's what he's telling us. All of the ways that the old vine has come up short, I will fulfill rightly. I am the true vine. See, the old vine is now done, and the true vine is here. That would be good news for us, right? That would be good news. The true vine is here. The true source of life is here. But Jesus doesn't stop there. It's not simply that Jesus is the true vine. He continues on saying, my father is the vine dresser. See, God the father is the gardener or the farmer. And he actually has a green thumb. He's not like me out in my dinky little flower bed. He knows what to do. He trims. He prunes. He does all that to ensure that there's fruitfulness God the Father devotes himself to making sure that the vine is in an ideal situation to bear fruit. The branches, the the ones that come from the vine, get their life from where? From the vine, right? And any fruit that is born on those branches is a result of what? Vitality, life that's happening in the vine. So as you can hear in these verses... Um, And in these words of our Lord, you hear, Jesus is the vine. The Father is the vine dresser. And we, God's people, his disciples, are the branches. And the vine dresser makes certain that the vine is bearing fruit. And, and, And he's cutting away branches that do not bear fruit. And by pruning branches that do, but not great, so that there's more where it needs to be. See, God is committed to the vine-bearing fruit. And because we're the branches, that means God is committed to you bearing fruit. I'm going to say that again. God is committed to you bearing fruit. So what this means is that if there's a dead branch, it's need, it needs to go, right? It must be thrown away. It must be cleared out so there's room for the rest of the vine to thrive. And if there's a branch that's bearing fruit, he'll prune away other parts that aren't bearing fruit so that all of the nutrients and energy and life from the vine can pour into that fruit-bearing branch. God is committed to his people bearing fruit. It's what a good vine does through its branches. This is not an option. It's not. There is no such thing as a Christian who doesn't bear fruit. That's what Jesus is getting at here, and it's something for us to all hear. There is no such thing as a Christian who doesn't bear fruit, who doesn't obey God's word, who doesn't pray, who doesn't depend on God for all things. And that's because Jesus can't be the true vine and not bear fruit. Right? That wouldn't, that wouldn't make sense. That's not who he is. And it's not who we are. It's not who we are. Jesus is the true vine. And so his branches bear fruit. So a Christian who does not bear fruit is incompatible with Christ's claim to be the true vine. And so that's why God is so invested, one, because he loves you, but two, he loves the son. So he's so invested in cons- consistently pruning and trimming and cutting away stuff, the, the stuff that's not working, so that those connected to Christ are not only situated to bear fruit, but are also actually doing it. God is very concerned, very invested. And very active in my bearing of fruit and in your bearing of fruit as disciples of Christ. In fact, he could not be more invested in you. And I don't mean invested like a venture capitalist. I mean, he actually sent his son to die for you because he loves you. And he wants to see you thriving and bearing fruit. He wants you to be So connected to the true vine. That fruit is just born over and over and over again. And he's so devoted that he'll prune away at the branches. So that they don't just bear mediocre fruit. See, God's in it for legit fruit. He's in it for big fruit. He's in it for eternity altering fruit in and through you and your life here in Waltham. I hope that gets you hyped up. I hope it does, because he is so for you. You can't imagine. And so it's only fair if that's true for us to then be asking, what is God pruning? And we should always be asking this, like what in my life is keeping the vitality of Christ's life from bearing the greatest fruit here? Right? We should be asking questions like that. And there are a boatload of things that could be ans- answers to that. So I'm not, I'm not telling you what these are. I'm telling you that you should spend some time with the Holy Spirit and with your Bible open and ask God, what about my life is keeping me from bearing fruit? Because I want to be done with that. So it could be relationships. It could be personal ambition. It could be pursuit of money or status. It could be straight up sin against the Lord and others. I don't know what that might be for you. I don't. What I do know is that we are in a unique situation right now. So much of life can be reset, and that's never really possible for us in our world. It, it never feels possible. There generally has to be some catastrophe for us to be able to reset every rhythm of our life. Well, here we are. Here we are. You have a time now. To examine and actually move on things that need to be cut away in your life so that the true vine can bear the most fruit. Right, right now, in the middle of this pandemic, in the middle of working from home, in the middle of schools, maybe reopening, maybe not reopening, in the middle of, of everything that could be happening right now. Don't waste this opportunity to ask God the father, the vine dresser to do hard work on you so that you're bearing proper fruit. Because he is committed to you bearing fruit. In fact, he is more committed to you bearing fruit than you are committed to anything in this world. And he will bring it about so if that's the case, we should probably be asking, how do we bear fruit? That's, that's a fair question at this point. What does it look like for me to pursue a life connected to Christ that results with his, this powerful life bearing fruit through me? Let's pick up in John fifteen four. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. We bear as much fruit as we do as followers of Jesus. By abiding in Jesus. But of course you're saying, what does it mean to abide? Anybody use the word abide this week besides me? No, no, no. All right? All right, simply put, just remaining in Jesus, okay? Let's just keep it simple, remain. Right, Jesus is our source of life and he is the only place that our fruitfulness comes from. Our fruitfulness is directly tied to our connection to the vine. That's what this means, period, the end, remaining in Jesus. So there is no life and there is no fruit to be had apart from Christ <laughs> at all. There is no life and no fruit to be had apart from Christ. If you take away the connection to the vine, there goes any shot at fruit, right? Like we know that. I don't have a green thumb, but we know that if you cut off a branch, it doesn't prosper after that, right? 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 So we can't lose that connection. So to say it another way, should the branch be cut off from the vine, there's no fruit. We must remain in Jesus. We must abide in Him. We must stay in Him. We must not be cut off from Him. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that your joy that my joy may be in you and yet your joy may be full. So we heard it before, and he says it here again: We abide in Jesus, and we abide in His love by keeping His commandments by keeping his commandments. See, John 15, 10 says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So a lot of this, I'm going to grant you, a lot of this can get twisted right now because there's a lot of abiding happening, okay? All right, because we're being told to abide in his word, to abide in his commandments, to abide in his love. And that's a lot of abiding, but the big point is that we're to remain in Jesus, to remain in his love, in his word, in his com- and to keep his commandments. Now, we like to separate these off and be like, am I abiding in his words? Am I abiding in his love? Am I abiding in his commands? We like to like partition stuff out and divide that out. But none of these things are independent. They're not mutually exclusive of one another. Instead, they're all wrapped together and each one drives the other. Here's what I mean. We will know Jesus' love in richer and deeper ways as we obey his commandments. As we obey him, we will experience his uh, care and protection in our lives. And so we will know more deeply how much he's for us, how much he loves us, and how much he's looking out for us. That will cause us to trust him more and obey him more, which only drives us to more love and to more time in his word. Does that make sense? These things aren't separate. Instead, they work together to drive each other forward, to speed each other up, really. And as this happens, we're proving to be his disciples by the bearing of fruit. And so it's natural to ask then, what what commands would Jesus be talking about? Now, I know we read this a little earlier, but I'm going to read through this last portion of this, and you can hear the commands from Jesus. He says, He says, That you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. In all of this, Jesus is telling us that all of his commands can be put under the umbrella of one command. Love one another as I have loved you. Laying your life down for a friend is obedient to the command of Jesus to love one another as he's loved us. That shows real love for Jesus. And that is the standard of love that Christ provided us. And to not only reach for it, but to live that out is to love him and to love God the Father who sent him. It hadn't happened yet when Jesus was saying these words, or else he wouldn't be saying these words. But we now know that Christ himself died on the cross for his friends. And you're included in that. So am I. Can you imagine that? Just imagine that for a moment. Christ, our Lord, counted you as a friend and laid down his life for you. Just imagine that. Christ, our Lord, counted you as a friend and laid down his life for you. Wow. Jesus actually says it to his disciples here. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, we should be clear here. He isn't saying that they become his friends because they do what he says. So, kids, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that this type of self-sacrifice for his friends is the type of thing that his friends do. It characterizes the type of people that his friends would be. Does this make sense? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Okay, so here's just a a quick one. So you know how if you're a Red Sox fan, you hate the Yankees? Okay, if you're Jesus' friend, you give your life for your friends. Just like that. It's that simple. It's that simple. Jesus' friends die for their friends because that's what Jesus did. And Jesus' friends are loved by him and are obedient to him. Now, one of the best parts of all this, and by all this, I mean all this bearing of fruit that we're doing today as Christ's disciples, one of the best parts of abiding in him is that everybody wins. All right, catch this. As we abide in Christ, everybody wins. Here's what I mean. And this should, more than anything, as much as anything, make us get hyped about going, what does it look like for me to... To obey Christ's commands, because everybody wins. First, God gets glory, okay? This is, you don't have to flip back. Read this whole passage later, but you don't have to flip back. But John 15, 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So God himself is glorified when you bear fruit. And so, so often we think about what we should do and do it because it's the right thing. But have you stopped and thought about how God receives actual glory when you bear fruit? Think about that. We all all have potential to to give God glory. And I don't mean just when you won the championship. I mean when he, he gets glory, when you put yourself on the line and take a loss for your neighbor who's being treated unfairly, even when nobody else sees it. God gets glory when you bear fruit. Secondly, our joy, and by ours I mean your joy, my joy, when we bear fruit as disciples, our joy is full. And Jesus says it. These things I have spoken to you. Why? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Abiding in Christ isn't merely duty. It's not. Jesus tells us that he spoke these very words so that our joy may be full. He's concerned with our well-being, but he wants us to have crazy joy. Right? Laying down your life for your friends is not meant to be miserable. It's so that you can have the most joy. That's why God gives you these opportunities, so that your joy may be full, so that there's so much joy in your life that you actually can't imagine anymore. That's what bearing fruit as a disciple. That's what abiding in Christ does. And third, again, I said everybody wins. This is a broad category here, but third, our not yet believing neighbors will see the self-sacrificial love of Jesus up close and in the flesh as you abide in him. So literally everybody that you come in contact with gets to win as they experience what it's like to have a friend that says, And believes that greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. So as you abide in Jesus, you're going to have opportunities to lay down your life for your friends. And you have the Holy Spirit who's going to help you see these opportunities and then empower you to go for it. And your friends are going to see what it looks like for somebody to follow Jesus and the fruit that will be born and the joy that you have Simply put, you abiding in him is also you loving and leading your neighbors to Jesus. It's that simple. And I want you to hear all that because sometimes we hear bear fruit and we think of bearing fruit as disciples and it can seem stressful and it can seem weighty and high pressure. But God through Christ has called us, is working in us, hearing our prayers, answering our prayers, and being glorified as we bear fruit. See, Jesus is the true vine, and the Father is the vine dresser, and as you abide in him and bear fruit, he gets glory, you get joy, and your neighbors will hear and see the good news of the gospel up close and personal, Seven-mile road. God is committed to you bearing fruit through Christ, the true vine. Will you pray with me?